Thanks for listening to the Calvary Baptist Church Podcast. For more information, check us out at cbctaylorville.com. Join us now as Pastor Steve delivers this week's message. Once again, it's great to have you at Calvary. Thank you for joining with us this morning. Uh, thank you for joining us online for our live stream today, and we're looking forward to what God's going to say. We're, I'm excited to open God's Word today, and I always am, but there's just uh, something very special about getting into the, God's truth and hearing what He has for us. With God's Word in mind, I do have one thing that's happening today I want to invite you to be a part of, if you could. Um, at the courthouse of our, of our city this afternoon, uh, they're actually doing something very interesting. Uh, from starting at 2 o'clock, there are going to be people gathered just sitting around the, the, uh, the lawn of the courthouse, and we're going to be reading the Word of God from beginning to end. The only way you can do that is if a lot of people actually come out and do that. So they've assigned us some spots at Calvary, and I'd love to have you come and join with me if you could just spend a few minutes. You don't have to read it out loud for everyone to hear. You just sit in your seat and you, you read a, a section, 10, 15 chapters, and then uh, you can even listen to it on your phone and just follow along. But it's a matter of just symbolically reading through the entire scriptures uh, in one afternoon. So if you can join us, please just let me know afterwards. And uh, then just join me at 2 o'clock this afternoon, and we're going to see. I think that's a wonderful thing because how important God's truth is. And that's what we want to talk about today is we're going to open God's Word and get into it and just see what it can say to our lives. If you've been with us the last few weeks, uh, we've been talking about the Father's house. So we're going to wrap that up today uh, in a very specific fashion about what it means to live in the the Father's house and, and what that truly should be in changing of our lives. If you're not able to, to identify with what I'm about to say, I'm sorry, because it's very special to me, and that is that as I've grown, I've always, I always, before my mom and dad passed away, one of the favorite things every year was to go back and go to dad's house, go to mom and dad's place, right? Uh, we would go as a family, and we'd gather, and we'd do all the family things. Mom was a good cook, and we'd have, always have food, always played games. It was just a, it was a, it was a great time. And it wasn't because it was a fancy house or anything. I mean, they lived in a very normal house, but it was just the, the atmosphere. It was the family. But here's what was interesting. After I got out of the house, I went away, and I then had a, a wife and kids, had a house of my own, a residence, There was still something special about going back to to dad's house, to mom and dad's house on a regular basis. Because, and here's what we would say, this is a great place to visit. Go back and see mom and dad. And that's what I want us to think about today. If you're from Taylorville, and some of you online may be watching other places, but if you've ever been there, as you come into our town, you're going to find a sign that looks like this. Welcome to Taylorville. It's a great place to what? To live. Now, some of you may agree with that, that live here. Some of you, you don't have to say it out loud. You may not agree. That's a very subjective uh, terminology of whether you agree. Maybe you, some of you have a bucket list of places you'd like to live, right? Honolulu comes to mind. I'm not sure why, but that's one of my thoughts, right? Maybe you have a place like that. U.S. Uh, News and World Report every year does a uh, greatest places in the United States to live. I don't know if you've ever seen it. And they rank them 10, the 50, the 100. Um, and for the last three years, their top has been Austin, Texas, uh, Denver, Colorado, Colorado Springs, Colorado. Very, I don't know if you've ever been to those places, beautiful places. Maybe that would be where you'd want to live. Uh, interesting, and this, I don't know what this says, but in the top 100, uh, Taylorville wasn't on there. I didn't know if that surprises you. What did surprise me, there's not an Illinois town at all in the top 100. Just saying, okay? But that, that's a whole other sermon we'll talk about some other day. But here's the thing, a great place to live. 
You see, what we're talking about the Father's house, it's not just a, a location. It's not a geographical spot. Although sometimes in the Bible, we will even see how it mentions a place. It's bigger than that. It's a relationship. It's that environment of wanting to be in the, the Father's presence. But it's even, it's even more than that. It's not just a place that you temporarily would want to go and visit. What we're talking about, and here's our theme for today, the Father's house is a great place to live. In fact, it's the greatest. That's the place that we want to find our lives in, uh, saturated in is living in the Father's house. So here's what I want to do today as we wrap up this series. I mentioned before, there, Jesus talked about that specific phrase, my father's house, three different times while he was here on the earth. So I want to look at each of those three and kind of give us an idea of what it means to live in the father's house based on the way Jesus used those terms. We, we've already read one of them today through the kid's story, John chapter 14, and this would be the third of the three times Jesus says this term. Remember, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house are many mansions, or your, your translation might say rooms. Uh, in fact, one translation says it this way, there is plenty of room for you in my Father's house. I, I love that particular way of putting it. There is room for you. God wants you in his house, and there is an invitation open to you. That he, there is room in the Father's house for you to be there. So uh, right off the bat, we understand that. But let's, let's take a, a kind of a journey through the way Jesus used these these three times. Let's go back to the first time that we find Jesus using this expression, my father's house. And it actually, if you were here the first week, we talked about it. This, when you see this in Luke chapter number two, it's actually the first time we see any record of Jesus speaking at all. These are the first words that we have Jesus saying, Luke 2, 49, why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? That's the first time Jesus says it. Now, get, let me give you a little background in case you're not familiar. At this point in Jesus' life, he is 12 years of age when he makes this statement. It's uh, at the time of the year, it's the Passover time. It's a huge Jewish celebration. And part of the Jewish celebration of the Passover was they would, uh, families from all over the, the country, even kind of the world, would make a, many of them would make a pilgrimage, if you would, back to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover at the temple. This was a, a huge deal in which they would come together. So Joseph and Mary and Jesus, uh, their family, their extended family, probably even just others in the neighborhood, from Nazareth to Jerusalem, they made this pilgrimage down to the Passover. There was, a, there was a, quite a gang of them, it seems, that went down there. So they, they have this, uh, they celebrate the Passover, and the, the troop kind of makes their way back towards Jerusalem, and they've gone one full day, and at the end of that day of travel from Jerusalem, Joseph and Mary find out something uh, startling. Jesus isn't with them. He's not in the caravan. They're a day away from Jerusalem, and they're still a long way from home, and Jesus isn't there. You can kind of imagine, parents, right? You can kind of marry, marry saying, hey, Joseph, where's Jesus? And Joseph says, uh, I thought he was with you. <laughs> well, I thought he's, right? You, you parents, you've had that conversation. You understand? So immediately, they, they head back. They make the day's journey back to Jerusalem, and they begin to search for Jesus. In fact, the Bible says they, they searched all over the city two more days before finally they go to the temple they find Jesus speaking to the, the leaders, and, and when Mary finds him, she, she basically kind of scolds him. Here's what she said. She said, why would you do this? We've been worried sick. We've looked everywhere for you. And then that's where Jesus responds 
why were you searching for me? He asked, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Now, please understand, Jesus wasn't being a smart aleck. He wasn't, he wasn't saying, why are you worried so much, mom? It, that wasn't his point. The obvious point was this. There, there, if all the places you look, this should have been the first place. You should have looked here first because there was a, something that Mary and Joseph and Jesus were privy to that the rest of the world still didn't understand, and that was Jesus being here was, was not just a, a normal life. He was here on a mission. He had been sent from the Father, and to be in the designated place that the Father had set up to be his presence, which would be that temple, that would be the obvious place that he has been here. In fact, some translations say that he said, didn't you know I had to be about my Father's business. It wasn't even just being in that place. It was about doing what the Father had called me to do. He said, Mom, don't you, don't you remember? I'm here for a purpose, and my Father in heaven has called me here, and I'm, that, the place that I'd be would be where he is and doing what he has called me to do. Here, here's my, my point here. The, the Father's house, first of all, is a place of surrender. It's a place of obedience, it's a place of realizing that I'm in the Father's house, but he's the one in charge. He is the one who's, who's giving the instructions. He's the one who's giving the orders. In fact, if you look at that verse again, you notice it said, didn't you know I had to be in my Father's house? I, uh, that was necessity. That just describes all of Jesus' life. Even before he was born, every moment of Jesus' life was about a divine order. It was what the Father was instructing for his life to be, leading clear up to the crucifixion and resurrection. It was all about doing the Father's will. Being in the Father's house is recognizing him being in charge. In fact, Jesus said in, in John chapter 6, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. I am here to do what the Father has sent me to do. I, the Father's house meant I am surrendered and I am here to do the Father's business. Now, let's make that connection to us. If we're understanding us being a part of the Father's house, that's still a critical issue for us. Is Father's house means we recognize who's in charge. Our, our life is not about doing it my way. It's not about fulfilling my career and finding my comfort and my, my pleasure. I'm here on a mission from the Father. As one of his children in the Father's house, it's about recognizing, God, you are in charge, and I surrender to do what you have called me to do. My life is yours. So that's, that's what it means to live in the Father's house. Let me take you another part of the journey. We'll, we'll, go, we'll fast forward about 18 years, approximately. Jesus is now about 30 years old. It's another Passover, but this time, rather than traveling back with, his, uh, with Joseph and Mary, he's traveling back with his disciples. And in this time, when he comes to the Passover, they, they again come to the Father's house. They come to the temple. This, again, this is a sacred building that God had instructed the people to build as a, as a symbol of his, his uh, relationship with them. And in John chapter 2, verse 16... Jesus makes an interesting statement. He says, to those who sold doves, he said, get those out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Let me just simply state it. The father's house is also a place of worship. It's a place of reverence. Now, again, let me, let me give you the story behind why Jesus said what he said. This place, the temple, 
was designed to be a place of honor to God. It was built to reverence and to worship their creator, to worship the, the, the he was, they were his people. It was created for that purpose, for them to meet with him. And so Jesus entering the temple, that should have been what he found. This atmosphere, this should have been what he finds, an atmosphere of worshiping and of honor and reverence to his father. But here's what he finds. If you go back to verse 14, it tells us that in the temple courts, he found people selling cattle and sheep and doves and others sitting at tables exchanging money. It literally was a market. But the people there, they would have argued, well, we're here, we have a noble cause because people, in order to worship, they need these cows and they need these sheep. So we're just, we're just giving them what they need, although they were using exorbitant prices. And we're just giving them the exchange of the money. They would have said that they were there on purpose. And Jesus said, but that's not the purpose of my father's house. It was never to be a place where it's a place of business. This is chaos. This is confusion. And just in case you're wondering how upset this made Jesus, the next verse says that he made a whip out of cords, drove out all from the temple courts, the sheep, the cattle, the people, the scattered, the coins of money changers, and overturned their tables. I love this verse. This is just kind of my weird thinking, right? Jesus, he kicks the tables over, dumps out their money, takes a whip, and drives them out of the temple. I'm going to do that next Sunday. I'm bringing a whip. And I said, no, do you imagine the, the way in which he got their attention? Why, Jesus, are you so upset? Next verse is when we come to that phrase, so when he told the, those who sold doves, get out of here, he said, stop turning my father's house into a market. Don't turn my father's house into something it was never intended to be. And in fact, the disciples respond in the next verse. They remembered that it was written from the Old Testament, zeal for your house, zeal for the father's house will consume me. They remembered that that Jesus was simply addressing that this is not the intended purpose of the Father's house. The Father's house is to be a place of worship and honor of God, and they're turning it into something that was never intended for. This was meant to be a place where individuals and families and even a whole nation could come and honor God, and they would, they would bring their sacrifice, and they would come before God, and they would, they would acknowledge him, and they would worship him. In fact, there's a whole section in the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, and this section is about travelers that we talked about as they would come to Jerusalem, it's called, there's, uh, it's called the Songs of Ascent, or basically it's songs for the travelers. It was songs that they would sing as they made their trip from wherever to Jerusalem. One that I found very interesting, David writes one of those psalms, Psalm 122, verse 1, and he starts it with these words. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. You see, that was the spirit that the travelers were wanting to, should be coming to Jerusalem. We want to go to God's house. Maybe we, don't, we live far away, but today we're getting to go to God's house. We're getting to go to the house of the Lord. And that's what Jesus says. He's coming in. That's the attitude. That's the spirit. We get to go into my father's house. And when he shows up, there's cows and sheep and people. It's a, it's a chaotic mess. And he says, this is not what my father's house is all about. And here's what we know to be interesting. About 40 years after this time when Jesus is in the temple, the history tells us in 70 AD that that building, the temple, was destroyed by the Romans. So there's no longer a, a building called God's house. So does that mean that it's all over? The Father's house is gone. There's no worship. You see, what God does is he takes that, 
that spirit that, is meant to, that was meant to be happening there in that building, and he now moves it to his people themselves. He actually comes to them, and, he's, and he refers to them as the place in which he is to worship, and, and as individually and even still gathering together people that are followers of his to worship together. In fact, one of the churches that we know of in, in Corinth Paul refers to them in this way in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. He said, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? There wasn't a temple any longer. Now it's the people that are worshiping God and also the gathering of those people become the place in which God says you're to worship, you're to honor. And that is still to be remembered today that you, if you're a follower of God, your life is meant to be an honor and to worship of God. And, but don't discount the fact that he also calls us as believers to gather together to worship him, to come and to honor him with our lives. Meeting in church is not just a religious duty. It's what we are as God's people. We are the place that we come together and we worship him because the Father's house. It's a place of surrender and it's a place of worship to Almighty God. But let's go to the last time that Jesus uses that phrase. You've already heard it a couple times. We've, we've quoted it. John chapter number 14, the third time, he says, he starts off verse 1, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Now let me stop right there. Make sure you understand, why would Jesus say this? Don't be troubled. Well, what we know from previous verses, honestly, these guys had a lot to be troubled about. Jesus has told them, made it very clear in just the chapter before, John 13, that he's going to leave them. So he's, his absence, he's no longer going to be with them here on earth. That's, that's troubling. But you take it even further, and he explains how that he leaves because he's going to die. He talks about his death. He also mentions that one of you is going to betray me. And then he even looks at Peter and says, and you're going to actually deny me three times, Peter. What, what he's saying is these guys, their whole world is now in upheaval. Everything is confused. Everything is, you want to talk about trouble, they are in the middle of it, and they don't, they don't even know what's coming, but they're, you've got to see the expression on their face. You've got to know the tension in the room. There is trouble when Jesus makes this statement. Let me ask, can any of you relate to that? Have you ever felt up just your world is completely turned upside down? Everything's different, and the world that you're seeing is not the world that you wish it was. Have you ever felt that? Maybe you're feeling it right now. I mean, stress or disappointment or sickness or pandemic, should I say? Do you understand what I'm getting at? Have you ever felt that everything is just crazy out of control? Now, if Jesus were to just say those first words, let not your hearts be troubled in the middle of this situation, that's almost cruel. Because if you're having a really, really bad day and someone comes up to you and says, oh, don't worry, it'll be okay, you want to go, boom, don't, I mean, just be honest, right? That's the last thing you want to hear. If that's where Jesus stops, then there's not a whole lot of encouragement there. But he doesn't. Let's keep reading. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Why? My Father's house has many rooms or mansions. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? Here's what I wanted you to share. If you understand the Father's house, and that's a part of your life and you're living there, the Father's house is a place of hope. No matter what you're facing, 
in the middle of perhaps a very troubling time of your life or the time in our world, time that like these guys were facing or whatever it is, in the middle of all that, there's always hope and it's found in the Father's house. If you read what Jesus said, he said there, there's, a, there's a hope that will endure and I'm, I'm, he talks about preparing a place in his Father's house. In fact, verse number three, he goes on to say that if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Now I'm just going to give just a little bit of a brief commercial, if you would, for for next Sunday. We're going to start a series that talks about the part of that verse. We're going to talk about the fact of ready or not, here he comes. And we're talking about Jesus. The fact that his word is very clear that Jesus is coming again. And there's words that we can look to understand that. But here's how Jesus introduces it. Fellas, I'm going away and I'm going to prepare a place in my father's house for you. And then I'm going to come and get you. And you're going to join me in this amazing place in my father's house. Now, that's a word, as as Miss Dolly shared with us as the kid's story, is the term that we would call is, is heaven, a, a place prepared for God's people. That Jesus said, I'm going to prepare this place, this, this heavenly place for you. Now, the interesting thing about the Bible, I think about heaven, is the Bible mentions or speaks of heaven several times, but it doesn't really give a whole lot of description of what heaven is about. Um, it, it gives us some ideas, and I, I'm sure you've heard things like the streets of gold and pearly gates, all parts of that description. But there's also, I found, a lot of misinformation about, about heaven. You may have heard something like this, that when you die, we all become angels and we get little wings and we flitter around and eat Philadelphia cream cheese. I don't know, whatever angels are going to do, and, and you're going you're gonna to make up for things you didn't do, on all those kind of, and understand, none of that is, is in the scriptures. Here's what I know. If you're a child of God, God refers to you as a saint, but he never refers to you as an angel. And all the husbands and wives said, amen, right? You're never, none of us are angels. That's never going to happen. That's not part of heaven. So there's misinformation, but there are a few things that we know for sure that heaven is as it's described. We do know, first of all, it is a real place that God is preparing. Jesus actually refers to it as a a place that he he has gone to work on, to put together for us, and he's going to come and take us there. So it is a real place, but it's a real indescribable place, best way I know to put it. Of all the guys that try to describe it in Scripture, Paul, had a, God gave him a glimpse of it, and he said, I, I can't even put into words what it is. In fact, you couldn't handle it if I did say what it was like. John tries to describe it, and he gives us probably the, the, the clearest of any descriptions we have in Revelation chapter 21, and he starts this way. He said, I saw a holy city in the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I think that's one of the greatest descriptions. It doesn't tell us exactly, but it's just the awe picture. Here's what I know. I've been a minister now for several years, and, and one of the things that I get to do is I get to stand on a stage like this and, and have a couple before me get married. It's a, it's a wonderful privilege, right? But one of the, my favorite parts is I stand here with the groom, and everybody gets in place, and flower girls, and all that stuff is happening, right? And the, the groom is fidgeting all this until suddenly the music changes, and around that corner comes his bride. And I just, my favorite thing is I just look at the groom because his face goes, boom, it just beams. It just shines because that's the most beautiful thing he's ever seen in his life coming around that corner. That's how John describes heaven. 
that when we see it, it's going to be beyond our imagination, the most beautiful thing that we could ever put within any kind of description. He goes on in that chapter to describe heaven with things like, he does talk about the streets of gold and gates of pearl and foundations of precious stones. It's going to be beyond beauty and imagination. Uh, there's water of river of life. There's a tree of life. There's, there's all these things of, that we understand. And then there are some things that are great because they're not there. Things like death and pain, sorrow, tears. Nothing gets old. Nothing wears out. Nothing, it is, it's just a, this incredible beyond our imagination. Those are just some of the descriptions that John gives. But in all of that, that's still not what makes heaven as the beauty and the greatness of heaven because what, heaven is not heaven because of what is there. Heaven is heaven because of who is there. And, and I know when we go to a funeral, we talk about uh, our loved ones that have gone on, and that's, that's a wonderful part of heaven. But even that's not who makes heaven heaven. Here's how John described it, verse number three of Revelation 21. Look, because God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. What's heaven? Heaven is once and for all, permanent, unfettered, undistracted, unobstructed, without any sin to bother us, communion and fellowship with our Father in the Father's house forever. See, that's, that's what makes heaven heaven. And that's the description that we have. That the, that's what Jesus said, I am going to prepare this place for you in my Father's house. But as great as all that sounds, there's a question that I want us to consider. Because that's, that's fantastic. I, uh, people talk about I, heaven and, and the glories. And most people that if you're here in this room or you're watching on TV, you're probably saying, I, I believe in that. But, but here's the question. Am I living right now with a Father's house perspective? Here's my question to you. Does that thing of heaven have anything to do with your life now? Is heaven just this thing that we're, we're at the end and we, you know, we're taking our last breath, we're going to pull out that insurance policy and say, ah, I got a place in heaven. Is that all that heaven is? Or is heaven supposed to be something that the Father's house, to be something that affects the way we live right now. You see, God has made it clear that heaven, though it is a literal, indescribable place, his presence, there's, there's something more to the Father's house than just a place that we're going to go to someday. In fact, here's how Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes these words, since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights, look at this, right now, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. God's challenge to us is to not have our minds so focused on our today and tomorrow and what we're going to do and our work, and every, not to have everything so focused on earth, but have our minds set on heaven, and that should affect the way in which we live everyday life. If we believe that there is a heaven, we believe that someday I'm going there, he says, then that should affect the way that you live Monday, Tuesday through Saturday. It should affect your daily existence. It's, it's our it's our opportunity, it's our privilege as God's children to be a part of the Father's house. But it is also our challenge 
to not let heaven just be something that's out there someday, but let heaven be something that affects the way that we live every day of our lives. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard this quote. It's been around for years. It was attributed originally to Oliver Wendell Holmes, whether he said it or not. He, the statement is this. Some people are so heavenly-minded that they are of no earthly good. I want you to think about that. His intent was simply, you know, it's possible for people to be thinking so much of heaven and, and eternal things that they just forget about taking care of others and, and that kind of, that, that was the intent. But here's the problem with this. One man put it this way. The problem is, I've never met one of those people. <laughs> the, the truth is, n- none of us are so heavenly minded that we're forgetting about earth. In fact, the Bible never challenges us, oh, don't be heavenly minded. In fact, he said, your mind should be set on things. God says, if you will keep your mind set on eternity, it will actually help the way in which you live on a daily basis. It's not about being too heavenly minded. It's about not being heavenly minded Enough. In fact, I read an article, and I want to share some thoughts with you from this article real quick. Uh, Paul Tripp wrote about uh, the fact that we sometimes complicate life because we're so focused on earthly things, we miss where we're headed. We miss eternity because we're so focused on what's right in front of us. We're not thinking about what, what we're going to and what God has in store. We're not, we're not Father's house focused. And, that's, that's what, and his term is this, and I love it. He said we become, uh, we have eternity amnesia. I want you to think about that. We have eternity amnesia. It's that we're so wrapped up in life that we forget that this isn't all that there is. That this life, maybe it's 50 years, 60, 70 years, less or more, this isn't it. There is more, there's an eternity, but we become amnesia. We're so wrapped that we have amnesia about eternity. And and with that, he gives several things that would be symptoms. So let me just ask you, think about these things. Do you have some symptoms of this amnesia? Here would be the first one. That is that we focus too much on ourselves. We're so focused on us being happy and accumulating our stuff. And, and so when we don't have enough stuff, we're, that, that bothers us. And we forget that there is a, just like Jesus, we're here on a mission. We're here for the Father's business. But we're focused on ourselves because we forgot that there is an eternity. Maybe it is that we ask too much of the people around us. Because if we're wanting this to be our paradise, then that means you got to help me have paradise. And if you don't do your job, then I'm going to be frustrated because I'm not, you're, you're at fault. Maybe it's our spouses. We learned that last night. Your spouses were never made by God to fulfill all your needs. Only God can do that. Regardless of how, you know, one of the quotes they made, that your spouse may be a wonderful spouse, but they make a lousy God. Because only God can fulfill your needs. But sometimes we put that on our spouse or other people, and, and so we're, we're actually putting them in a place where they can't fulfill. Or, or maybe we're too controlling and fearful when dreams aren't being fulfilled, and we, we, we're, not, we're not in control, and that scares us, and the world just not rolling out, of, and we forget that there, God's got this. There is an eternity. God's in control. Or in, from that, sometimes we begin to question the goodness of God. We begin to think, you know, well, God said all things work together for good for those who love him. But this sure doesn't seem good, and I don't see how it's getting good, and it's not getting any better. And we forget that God said it would be good, but he didn't say all of it would be settled here on earth. There's an eternity. He is working things out, but it may, it may be something that we'll never know until we see him. But we trust him, but not if we have this amnesia. Then we get disappointed more than thankful. We, we're just bothered and, oh, I missed it again, and it didn't come again, and, and begin to gripe and moan because it's not, because we forget of all that God has given us because we're not focused 
beyond this world, and that caused us to lack motivation and, and trust in him and, and lack that hope that we need in who God is. I just, I just used that because as I read those, I thought, man, I find myself in a couple of those categories from time to time. Why? Because I have eternity amnesia. I'm forgetting that I'm part of the Father's house. And the Father's house is bigger than this world. It's, it's not just a place I'm going to someday. It is a place for me to live. It's a place that God has designed. In fact, here's how Paul put it in 2 Corinthians. Therefore, we do not lose heart. We don't give up. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. I'm having troubles, yes, but all of that God is working for something eternal. God is still in control. The eternity is still coming. And the last verse he says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Eternal, Eternity amnesia is, I, I just forget that this isn't the end. But if I remember that I'm in the Father's house, and that is a place that never ends, now and forever, and I, find, I can find myself living there. Here's the challenge. We've got to stop making uh, it all about now and just about the, right in front of me and just about it, it, this is heaven is just something that I get at the end. It, the Father's house is a way in which to live our lives right now. That, and that's what I want us to think about. How, what does it look like to live in the Father's house today? Why would Jesus give us that picture about living in the Father's house? Let me back up and make sure we understand one thing. There is only one way to be a part of the Father's house at all. In that book, in that chapter of John 14, he talks about how he's going to prepare a place. But then in verse number six, he makes this very strong statement. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See, we gotta erase some of the stuff that we hear that, that getting to the Father's house, getting to heaven, to being part of God, that, that there are many ways, just many paths, all going to the same place. Jesus says, no, there's one way, and that's through me. The only way to the Father is through a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life, died on the cross for our sins, rose again in three days, and then offers us a gift that if we receive his gift, he will give us access to the Father's house. We become God's children. That's the only way to heaven. In fact, in John's book later in in Revelation 21, this is what he said, the Father's house, heaven is only for those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. It's a very exclusive list. It only goes through Jesus. The way to the Father's house is only through the Son, Jesus Christ. So the question is very simple. Have you received that gift? Do you know that you're one of God's children because you received his salvation. I, I, Lizzie, your testimony today was phenomenal. I just loved it. I sit there and just, because you explained it so well. It, it doesn't matter how much you know about God until you put your personal faith and trust in him for salvation. And, and that's the question. Do I know God is my father because I've received his son as my savior? That's the only way you come into the father's house. But if you have come to that place, and you are a part of the Father's house, you're one of his children, then it comes down to this question. Am I living in the Father's house more than just 
some future thing? Am I, am I living now in the Father's house, or is, this, is the Father's house just something I'm waiting for after I, I die? Is the Father's house something that truly affects the way in which I live right now? If you go in back in John 14, he talks about the way being through him only. But then he goes down to verse 23, and he says something I think is just, it, it really makes sense when you put it all together. He said this, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them. We will come to them and make our home with them. If you have your outlines, underline that word home, circle it. It, it becomes very significant in this chapter because that, that word in the Greek is used two times in the New Testament. And both of those times are in this chapter, in John chapter 14. And actually, we've already read the other place that it was used. Remember verse number two? When he said that my father's house has many rooms or mansions. That word rooms is the same word for home. Only two times that it's ever used in the New Testament are in these passages. What is significant about that? Well, let's look at what he's saying. In verse number two, John is talking about that place, that that father's house being a place in which he's preparing for us to go. But in verse number 23, he's talking about your life now that you're living, and he says that it it is where God comes in a present, current relationship, connection with those who are following him. It is about now as followers of Christ. Verse 2, he says, I'll come and get you and take you to to be with me. Verse 23, look at this. He says the father actually comes to us. The Father and the Son, through the Holy Spirit, actually come and dwell in us. They make their home in us. You want to know where the Father's house is? If you're one of God's children, the Father's house is right here. It's your life. It's the fact that God has come into to your, your being, into your existence. The Father's house is part of who you are on an everyday basis. This is about a permanent, eternal life. A thought from the Old Testament, God promised to his people in Leviticus that I'll walk among you, I'll be your God, you will be my people. And commentators on this verse in John says that's exactly what Jesus is saying, is that his people, God has promised he's going to come and not just be around and watch his people, he's going to be in, he's going to be with, he's going to be side by side. God will never leave us or forsake us. God will be beside us to help us, to cheer us, to uh, encourage us, to challenge us. The Father comes to us. He brings the house to us as his children. In fact, here's how 2 Corinthians puts it. For we are the temple of the living God. And then he repeats that phrase from Leviticus, as God has said, I will live with them, walk among them, I will be their God, they will be my people. Now one day in heaven, that will be the permanent, that will never change. But he's saying right now, that is your, that is your place as God's child. You are his temple. God lives in you. God wicks, walks with you. That's the Father's house. F.B. Meyer comments on these verses, and he says in verse number two, God prepares a mansion for those who believe in Christ. But in verse 23, he says, and then he asks us, God does, to prepare our hearts as a guest chamber for him to dwell in. What he's saying is God is preparing us a place, but right now, this is his home. Within Within the lives, the hearts of his so again, I ask you the question, does your life at all being lived in the perspective of being the Father's house? 
Are you living knowing that not just heaven someday, but the Father is with me right now, and my life should reflect that. People should be able to see the Father in me because the Father lives here if I'm one of his kids. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You're bought at a price, so therefore honor God with your Your life, your body, is not just one day going to heaven if you're one of his children. Right now, your life, your body, your everyday existence is the temple of God. It is where the Father's house resides right now. Does that change the way you live? Are you living your life, as we've said before, in the Father's house? Are you surrendered, obeying what the Father has in mind for you? Are you living your life based on what he wants, his will, or based on just what I think I want to do today? The Father's house is here. Is your life a a place of worship? Is Is your Father's house living in you? Is it a place of reverence where others will see that you truly follow and you honor and you revere the God who created you? Is it a place of hope? That no matter what you face, even as hard as your day may be, it doesn't mean you, you won't shed a tear, you won't have sorrow, but it's a different sorrow. It's a sorrow with hope. It's a sorrow because you know this isn't it. You know that there is more. Do you have that hope that others see the Father's house living inside of you? One last verse that I think most of you are familiar with. In fact, many of you have probably memorized it. The 23rd Psalm, the last verse David, even though he didn't even understand all of this yet, it wasn't, he, he said exactly what we've been talking about. He said, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Remember that? And then I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Look at those two things. He says, God's love, mercy, they're going to follow me now, all the days of my life. The Father's house, right here, right now, because I know him. And then, and I will dwell in his house forever. My, the Father's house is something that I, it's a great place to live now and forever. So it comes back to that question. Do you know that you're in the Father's house? Have you received the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ? Do you know that you're one of his children because you've received his son? But if you are, then the question I have for you is right now, am I living in the Father's house with confidence and anticipation, confidence of his presence, confidence that I'm one of his children, confidence that, that, that I know that this life has meaning, and anticipation that one day I will see him face to face and the Father's house will be a place eternally. I will dwell in his house forever. So as we wrap this up today, let me just let you think about those two questions. Do you know the Father? Is he personally your father because you've received salvation through his son? If not, today could be the day. If you recognize that you're a sinner separated from this this holy God, but he sent his son to save you, to die for your sins. You believe that truth that he died and rose again, and then you receive and say, God, I want to follow you. I want to turn from my way and follow you with my life. Would you receive his gift today? And if you know that, if he, is one of, if he is your father, you're one of his children, is your life living in the perspective 
of being in the Father's house now and forever. Would you bow your heads with me, please? With our heads bowed and eyes closed, consider what that would look like in your life. If you've not received Christ, then my prayer to you is that you would, you would call out to him and say, Jesus, save me. Paul says, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Would you do that today? If you know him as Savior, then just ask yourself this question. Am I living, is my life living as a, a place of surrender and obedience to God? Is my life living in a way of worship and reverence to God? Is my life showing a hope that I have in God because I'm a part of the Father's house? Father, we thank you. Thank you for sending your Son so that we can have a part of your house. Lord, I pray that, that your Spirit makes it very clear that if we've not yet received that gift of salvation, that that's what we need today. That's what you wanted us to hear today. And I pray that if there's one in the sound of my voice, whether in this room or on, on, on the computer, the screen today, I pray that they would say, Father, I want to, I want to know you. I want to follow you. I, want, I need my sins forgiven. I want to be a, one of your children. And they would call out to you and receive you today. Please, God, draw them to yourself. But Lord, help us as your followers to live like we believe in eternity, to live with that perspective that we're part of the Father's house. Let our lives reflect that this way.